Disclaimer, this episode may contain language not suitable for colonizers, white nationalists, alt-right, or Trumpers. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Better Left Podcast. This is Jay. If you're liking what you're hearing, don't forget to give us a rating of five stars. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button too so you can stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks a lot. I can touch the particles of space, feel the matter shifting into place, floating through the darkness, call it grace, by your head and nod to the grace, heart beating like an eight weight, star bound right up out the gate, supernova blowing up my fate, and said I swear these haters cannot take, tell me who the hell do you think Yo, you welcome to a better left, I'm your host, Ashley, I'm joined tonight by two very special guests, Maven and Kamali. We might have a ghost in the room. I don't know. Uh, word on the street is they go by Rosie Rocket. So if you hear that ghost, don't be startled. That's just our friend. How y'all doing? Good so far. I'm feeling good. Happy Black History Month, y'all. Yo. Happy Black History Month, Kamali. Happy Black History Month. <laughs> Rosie Rocket has answered the chat. Um, Happy Black History Month. You know, it's it's got to be longer. Y'all can't see it, but we're all doing the Wakanda salute right now. Chadwick Boseman, my <laughs> man's my man's be tired of that shit. He be at fucking uh, like basketball games. He's like, do it. Do no, salute, he's Chadwick. like, put your right over your left. It's not your left over I, your right. I I hope that he's not. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's tired of it. I hope he's not though, because honestly, <laughs> honestly, representation wise, like what what do kids like? Who else do they have of that stature? You know what I mean? Like black uh, kids. Look. If I play Batman and every time I was outside a nigga asked me to like throw a batarang or some shit, I would be mad. I'd be like, well, no, little nigga, I don't got no batarangs oh, in my no. pocket. But that's different. Just that's crushing that's kids' dreams. Way left different. And right. Damn. It's way different because before Batman, they had everyone. Right? <laughs> and that's a batarang. That's, that's not <laughs> like a, a symbolic gesture, you know what I mean? Because also, if you're from the Bronx, which. Uh, well, all right. Don't 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 bring it up. It's talking. like comparable to like the fist right now. Yeah, you know the it, how big it the is fist for little kids. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not knocking it. Okay, I just I just know that if I was the person that was the face of that symbol, and everyone just expected it from me every time I went out fucking side, <laughs> I get kind of mad. I'd be like, look, I it's like ask me a question about Black History Month. I know some shit about my people. Stop asking me to do the fucking salute. Do you know? you, do you think, think asking you about? Oh, oh sorry. You're good. You're good. Ask me. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Rosie. <laughs> so you think somebody coming up to you asking you a question would be less of an inconvenience than someone asking you? To uh, do I mean, this no, obviously not. <laughs> it's like, hey, what? Um, what? The, what's the third uh, black president? It's like, dude, I don't know. Is that, is you think you think David Duke gets tired of it? And he's like, <laughs> yo, don't don't start this shit with me. It's like, how how don't, don't, how, how don't dare start, you? Don't you start on me? Don't you start on me? <laughs> it's not even my turn to speak on the podcast yet. Like, no, actually, it is. Let's let's start on you. Oh, let's. You know what? Me. That's right. Hot seat. All right, Kamali. So I want to know who you are, what you do, and where you're from, because nobody here in Seattle is actually from Seattle. I'm sorry, I've never met a Seattleite. Even if they say they're a Seattleite, they just they're not from no, here. I mean, that's that's wild because I. I have had many encounters with uh, real Seattle people, the real Seattle folk. <laughs> <clears throat> I am I'm from the Bronx. You know, I was I was born in New York City proper. Um, I was born in a hospital in Manhattan, and then uh, my family lived in the Bronx. My mom and dad are Jamaicans. Boop 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 boop. Gunshot gunshot gunshot. Um, 
Ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get real ignorant real quick. Boom, 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 boom. Man, yard. Yard did them. All right. Um, and here in Seattle, I run a small nonprofit called Standing Against Foreclosure and Eviction. And in Seattle, we operate as Seattle Against Foreclosure and Eviction. And I forgot the last question, right? What was my favorite color? Black. Because <laughs> I'm that, black. That's right. <laughs> what are What are your preferred pronouns? Um, he, him. He, him. Okay, I can dig it. Maven. Hey. Talk to me. Hi, I'm Maven. Um, I am a poet first. Um, activist second. <laughs> I guess I'm just kind of like an overall creative. I do a lot of different things. I wear a lot of different hats. I am born and raised in Seattle, South Seattle, to be specific, Rainier Beach. So you know I'm here representing the oh South End. So maybe about to want Wakanda salute. Oh my god! They about to be like. Wakanda. They are not. Uh, <laughs> but Beach. they. But Rainier Beach. Rainier Beach. There Rainier you go. Beach. That's what it is. But it's yeah. Funny. So. Oh, and my preferred pronouns are they, them, theirs. You know, non binary hoe up in this bitch. So that's good. That's good stuff. This nigga. This nigga's like, yo, <laughs> respect my authority. You get me. <laughs> Y'all are hilarious. Yo. I want to ask. We're going to get deep. We're going to go right into this 12 foot pool. Are y'all ready? Oh no! Y'all ready? This man said some J Cole shit. Yo, you have to have a certain level of intelligence. I'm I'm about to penetrate your mind, girl. Yo, you have to. But no, on the real. All right, I want to know what your blackness means to you. Not anyone else. Not a monolith. I want to know to you as an individual. What does blackness mean? What does your black identity mean? What does it mean to be black for you? What does it all mean? I guess that's me, right? Um, <clears throat> look, I was one of those black kids that grew up, you know what I'm saying? But, like, I had I had a really, really, you know, strange upbringing. But we are, I was always aware of the fact that I was black. You know, like, always aware of the fact. I, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of black people, especially here in Seattle, that go through this identity crisis about their blackness and how they fit in and yada, yada, yada. I never had that shit. My mom was just like, my nigga, you are black. You are black. You know what I'm saying? Um, and to me, that means a lot of things. You know, for me, I know I love I love having melanin and not to get a little hotepi, but, you know, I do believe black people are the sun people. You know what I'm saying? We thrive in sunlight, you know. Um, Ashe. That's, that's why we have afros, you know what I'm saying? We flowers in this thing. <laughs> um, but overall, for me, what it means to be black um, is to have a lot of intersection, intersecting like, identities uh, throughout the diaspora that unite in one place. For me, that cross section is New York, um, being American, but also being a immigrant, a child of immigrants. Um, my parents are Jamaican, so it's not even that I'm like African American, quote unquote. Not like it really matters because we're all a part of the diaspora. Mm-hmm. But I'm a uh, I'm an Afro Caribbean, and the that is a huge part of my identity, um, especially growing up in New York because it t- tied me to my blackness. Um, eating Jamaican food, hair and patwa. Being in the Bronx around other Jamaicans, niggas playing dominoes, going to Jamaican church, like all those things, all those little rituals, all those th- those things that like, kind of permeated my existence. And I mean, those things are a part of me, so I could never be ashamed to be black, you know, yeah. to have those things um, also translate into the other work I do in my life, like in my writing and my activism, 
We're, 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 we're going to come back to the activism and to the work, I promise. Yeah. But that was beautiful. Yeah. Like, Wakanda salute. <laughs> Wakanda salute, baby. Maven. <laughs> so I have to ask you the same question. Uh, for you, as an individual, what does your blackness mean? What does being black mean to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, bouncing off what Kamali said, I definitely didn't have the whole identity crisis either, actually, surprisingly. But uh, I wasn't raised around necessarily black and brown folks. Um, growing up, like in the system, I was really surrounded around a lot of white identified folks in a lot of like racist ass areas. Um, and so um, surprisingly, that did not fit into my story, though. I think a lot of the time, especially like you said, being in Seattle, that is very common here. Um, for me, whenever I think about this question, though, I think just kind of like a list of words really come into my head more than anything because I'm like long winded as hell. So <laughs> but whenever um, I think of like my blackness specifically, I think of like resilience and then like bravery and dangerous. Like those are the first three words that come into my head every time just because I feel like being black is like a very like like spiritual experience. I don't fucking know. Like it's just very, very specific. Um, and it's like a very dangerous identity to have. So it's kind of like fun up in here. You know, we're out here, we're creating, we're cultivating, but like it's dangerous being black and brown in America right now. So, yeah. So I want to, I want to just uh, go back over something. What, what are your preferred pronouns? Oh, they, them, theirs. They, them, theirs. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So I want to ask you first. Mm -hmm. All right. What, what is masculinity for you as a concept, you know, uh, as an experience, how would you define masculinity? Oof. Let's see. How would I define masculinity? I think for me personally, I have a very interesting relationship, I think, with it. I, for instance, have a lot of brothers, um, but I've always been, I guess, perceived as a very masculine individual um, around just my peers in general. And so and I don't necessarily see myself around that. But for me growing up, masculine was always related to aggression whenever it came into conversation around black folks specifically, though. Um, and so I think like a lot of my ideas around masculinity probably came more from like toxic um, kind of like ide ideologies and whatnot. And mm -hmm. so I'm not necessarily sure. Like for me, I feel like I'm more of a masculine person than a feminine feminine person and that works for me but i don't know if i ne necessarily have like a set definition of what i think masculinity is what about you kamali do you have a uh, your own personal definition or even ideology for what you believe masculinity is as a concept well for me i think masculinity ultimately is just a, a, another label for like socialization um and i guess all the things that come with it but i mean masculinity overall is kind of just the just the overall concept of maleness people attach a lot of like weird uh things like oh men have to be strong men have to be quiet men, but like masculinity takes place in like such a diverse uh like, it has a, such a rich emotional life you know that it's beyond that masculinity for me has always been expressive has always been um like men that <laughs> express themselves men, like the colorful people you know um it's and it's dynamic it's not a static kind of stoic clint eastwood like <clears throat> this with a dollars guy walking around with a gun in his pocket like i'm gonna fucking cheat you you know which is kind of like what we're socialized to believe and especially about black people especially in the construct of blackness is that that the, the tough guy thing but um like masculinity whole masculinity is uh, 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 is a thing that is kind of malleable like everything else on the spectrum. 
So can you give me some examples of what you feel healthy black masculinity would be or or not even that? Let's go deeper. All right. Let's go. Let's go to the bottom of this pool. Do you have any personal examples of healthy black masculinity that you've seen growing up? My uncle. Um, and <clears throat> which is really weird because it, it, it kind of seems counterintuitive that the guy who was kind of a ladies man has like mad kids. Like, out of wedlock and shit. Like, my Uncle Lenny is the person who taught me how to respect women. Like, um, of course, yeah, I have, like, I was in a house full of women that, like, that came with it. But ultimately, the, the man who was the most important to me um, and taught me how to, how, to, how to be around women, how to operate with women, how to talk to girls, you know, like, was my Uncle Lenny, you know? And my Uncle Lenny always, and I don't know how, like, you know, I don't know what his experiences were, but... Like, growing up, he always was just like, you know, like, rapists are fucking cowards. Mm -hmm. Pedophiles are fucking cowards. Mm -hmm. It's like, a real man doesn't have to, doesn't have to hurt a woman. You know, a real man wants the girl to want him to have sex with her. Like, that's, that's what a real man is. And, you know, for me, that was like, that, that that's really big consent. You know, consent is like the topic of our time, mm -hmm. right? Like, <clears throat> my uncle kind of made consent cool for me, right? And now, like, uh, I feel like most people who have, like, healthy uh, uh, black masculine people, kind of like my uncle, who, of course, you know, he wasn't always right about everything. You know, he still had his, like, his things. But he he definitely showed me that, like, when you want to go talk to a girl, how to do it, how not to be sleazy, how to not to be pushy. You know, like, and, I mean, my uncle Lenny, he's old. His girlfriends are, like, way younger than him. And he's a very charming individual. But for me, the core of that, um, when I saw what women gravitated to him for was he treated them with a kind of kind of reverence and a nurturing respect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for me, like respect for women, respect for people overall, people that you love um, is an extremely important thing that I learned from my uncle. So, Maven, uh, you mentioned having a lot of brothers. So did you have examples of healthy black masculinity growing up? I definitely did not. Um, I think also around my experience specifically, like I knew really, really young that I was queer and that I was trans. And so like knowing that and knowing how I like viewed masculinity, like in myself, like it was just very, I think it was just a very confusing time for me. So like, I don't think I necessarily had anybody in that intersection that taught me about masculinity because it was always seen as something that was very male predominant. So it's just like, you don't have a gray area, like masculinity, masculinity was only tied to male identifying people. And so I think mainly that was like the whole thing. I just didn't really have a lot of like non-binary, like folks in my life at all not not any I mean like not a lot just like I didn't have any at all and so I think that was like my whole thing I got to like kind of define what it, what, what it felt like for me and what um that balance kind of felt like for me and it just kind of like worked I guess but I don't know if I've ever really thought about it actually until now about how I felt um necessarily how to define it um but yeah I didn't have like very many role models I would say but I think the people I saw that executed it best and like in a healthy way growing up were other non-binary and like folks in like my rainbow community um who really did not also have great examples of masculinity in their households growing up and so I think if anything that was probably the closest but nobody that I really could like call on by name that I was close to yeah no I, I definitely agree I feel that there are still a myriad of things that we have to unpack just as a people as a culture uh, but then 
I have to ask you, right? So now you are that non-binary person who has masculine energy and aura. So what are some things that you feel you could pass on to someone who might have similar circumstances growing up? What are some examples of healthy masculinity that you would teach them? Ooh, that's a good question too. Some examples of healthy masculinity that I would teach them. I think we come down to like, for me, I'm like a words of advice person more than like a teach or like lesson sort of person. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think the thing I would tell myself at least like growing up and kind of being in that situation, because the main thing I heard was just like the way I was acting was wrong because if I'm assumed to be a female in the world and that's how I should act and like act and that's how my energy should match you know mm-hmm. and that just didn't work for me um and so I think like just being able to like go back and tell myself like what I'm doing is fine who I am is fine I'm gonna turn out fine um and like things aren't gonna be any easier necessarily but like you don't have to change up your energy because like like Kamali said like this shit's like on a spectrum you know and so that's like I think the biggest thing is like there's just no black or white there's no side there's just a very wide array of like options of who you get to be and who you get to present um as like present yourself as and for me I don't know it was just like that was just like the one thing that I just kind of needed it was just like you're doing you're fine like you're you and there isn't really a way to be you because no one's been you before so like who's gonna tell you who to be you other than you okay I'm feeling that all right all right here's what we're gonna do all right so I'm gonna shift this back to Kamali And then I'm going to shift it back to you. And I want each of you to just leave a short anecdote for the youth, right? About consent. Just something, just a brief yearbook message that you want young masculine presenting people to know about what consent means when you are a masculine presenting person. Don't touch unauthorized culo. Keep your hands to yourself. And mind your damn business. <laughs> My little tidbit would definitely be persuasion is not consent. And asking questions is not overbearing. It's not annoying. It's important. Ask them questions. Make sure you're getting all that goddamn consent vocally, vocally, vocally. Just because you think you're reading or perceiving signs, that's not a vocal consent. You need that shit in writing, in word, I don't care. But you need you need to hear it. You need to see it. You can't just. Not everything's about vibes, y'all. Okay, you gotta you gotta get some vocal answers. <laughs> Keep the hotel shit to yourself too. Vibes or not, yo. vibes or not. Yo, Wakanda salute. <laughs> Wakanda salute. Uh, so speaking speaking of the youth or youth as my the youth them level up the youth them <laughs> friend over there. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, I, I do I do want to give a shout out to Rosie Rocket who is in the room and she Woo-hoo. is a very young 20 almost 21 year old multi-talented artist hi Rosie Rosie has entered the chat hello how's everybody doing <laughs> <laughs> hi so I, I want to talk a little bit about youth culture you know oh, youth culture. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about the younger generation let's talk about people who are under the age of 25. You're about to make me Can sound I, like fucking Joe Biden. I have a quick tidbit, because I love the questions that you like started off with. Mm-hmm. I give a quick thing. Like, Absolutely. Rosie's Corner. Let's get it. Because um, like my black identity for me, I wasn't raised around my black family at all. Like I was actually raised in a household that uh, called my hair nappy and uh, inspi- like, uh, you know, so I had to find 
um, a different way to be black. Cause like I was black, you know, just like I would go to school and like, you're black, you're one of us. So like um, my black identity just revolved around the word innovation, I think is something that uh, became very important to like look at all of my ancestors that had survived and made their way here. Um, and uh, like just fought through innovation and being able to uh, adjust and thrive from wherever they're standing. So I, I think that's what my identity is uh, on being black is just the ability to innovate and knowing that I was born from the roots of innovation. So that's my. No, I, I love that. Uh, when I think about our people as a whole, just the entire diaspora, whether it's black American or black Caribbean, the first word that comes to mind is perseverance. Because like you said, like we're a people who we rise time and time again uh, to the challenge and we survive. We figure out ways to innovate. Uh, I talk about this nonstop, not just during Black History Month, but when you look at the list of inventions from Black American and Black Caribbean inventors, all of these things were items born out of necessity post uh, slavery being legally abolished anyway. Um, so I like that. I think that's a great answer from the youth at the table. The, yeah. the youth them. Shout out the youth them. And then real quick on the identity thing. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. Um, oh, to understand. Sorry. I'm going to start again. To uh, So masculine and feminine have always been a spectrum for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to understand the spectrum that I see it as, you have to take away the words like masculine and feminine. So it's just energies now. And on one side is an energy that's more uh, caring, um, nurturing. And trusting. And then there's another side that's more uh, like protective and discerning. So like I've, uh, I've looked at it as that because my raised by all women mm-hmm. and seeing masculine uh, energy coming from them, you can't describe it as this is a man or anything mm-hmm. like anything too like that. So I've found different words and that's what I really embody is, you know, whether I'm going to be, you know, more open to the world or am I going to be more, you know, s- not secretive, but protective of my identity and how I express. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that too, because I think a lot about the, the women, the Jamaican women in my family. And oftentimes, especially like black women are like masculinized as like, uh, like these, these kind of brutish women um, that aren't deserving of like tenderness and affection and stuff like that. And I mean, while that is also extremely tragic and terrible, um, I saw women in my family persevere through that. Like, to kind of use that to their advantage um and people would say that they they walk around like like men but people don't understand that jamaican culture jamaican culture overall is a matrilineal culture um it's built off the backs of women right the number one and the number one but the most important in my opinion uh jamaican uh to ever be a jamaican was nani of the maroons because nani was uh she was the she was a liberator uh, a, a leader in 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 the maroons and <clears throat> interesting thing about nani is nani's mythology now becomes bigger than nani and nani like if you never if you never heard the the term queen nani and i just talked I talked about nani of the maroons you would think by her accomplishments she was a man Right. So it's like the, the, like the spirit of that like, is in Jamaican women. You know what I'm saying? Like that the ability to do a man to do their job as a woman as a woman and then come home and do a man's job. And that's like that's energy I've seen my family 
the women in my family bring to the table time and time again because there were there there weren't a lot of uh, strong men in my family. My, my uncle was one, right? I had another uncle that was one. My dad wasn't really around. I was raised by my mom, my grandma, my aunties, and they all taught me about being a man, even though they was like, well, we're women. We can't teach you about being a man. But they also helped teach me parts of uh, uh, healthy masculinity that we kind of idealize and lionize, like the idea of a breadwinner, someone who provides, someone who does that. And in their own way, they kind of reinforce that healthy masculinity in me, you know. Uh, so <clears throat> for everyone listening, if you're unfamiliar uh, Nani or Nani of the Maroons, she led a group of slaves uh, against their British oppressors. Uh, and I think over the course of what, a couple decades, 30 years or so, she may have freed up to a thousand. Yeah. Uh, and she held her ground. She refused to sign a peace treaty uh, with the Brits. Yeah, she gave the Brit. That's the thing. It's like she gave the Brits so much hell. That the British, the British, the colonizers tried to make peace with this woman and her ba- her ragtag band of misfits. Also, thank you, Queen Nani, because that's how we got fucking jerk chicken. Shout outs. Shout outs to my man's them. Shout out to jerk chicken. Yeah, shout outs to the man's them. Great. And that's why, and that's why, because now I'm getting spicy, because they, these white people be out here be trying to cook jerk chicken. <laughs> don't put no fucking raisins in no goddamn jerk chicken, and oh, don't put no. no fucking cinnamon in your goddamn jerk chicken. Oh, no. Go buy, yes. Raisins. Yes. Raisins. Look, look up the look up the YouTube recipes. I'm not fucking playing. Like, and it's like it's like this is why you can't you can't give white people shit. Raisins belong on the vine as grapes, oh, as yeah. God intended. Absolutely, <laughs> do better. Yo, don't, don't don't tell that don't tell it to Jamaicans because niggas like eating prunes. Prunes out that way. My grandma used to love prunes. Mm. Prunes, prune juice. Niggas had you Putin, boy. <laughs> you know, this is why we're let's move away from prunes. Let, let's let's go back. Let's go back to the youth. I don't feel like the, the kids. Youth, I don't feel like the kids are eating prunes right the now. Youth, uh but I, I do want to know, I do want to ask everyone, uh, how do you perceive youth culture right now? Like what what is youth culture to you? What what is the impact? What is the uh significance of youth culture right now? Mm. So right now, how I see youth culture is uh, kind of like, I think, freeing yourself from generational uh, like curses and uh, habits. I think that you notice it's a, it's a lot of uh, analyzing how you were raised and um, learning to overcome certain um, limitations you may have, like in accepting certain truths about yourself or embracing certain new kinds of like affection or healthy habits. So you'll you'll be 21 next month, right? Yeah. So then I have to ask you, uh, at what point did you feel like you had reached that level of self-awareness in your life? Always, always. Like, I just always felt like I was, hmm, like, why is she doing that? Like, and thinking really deep, like, um, and I don't know why. I don't I don't know why that uh, it was like that. I just, I've, I've just... My early me- earliest memory is from when I was like one. So I've just had a lot of thinking time, I guess, on my hands. Like, <laughs> So I just decided to be like, why? I was always that kid. Just why? Why? Existentialism, you know? Mm-hmm. But just a slightly deeper than existentialism. Because, you know, like existential kind of like floats off. But like when it's like right here and now it's like, oh, I'm living with this person. Like, and, and now I can't uh, expect just regular uh like good praises from people because I'm so, you know, so it's more like kind of action-y, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I feel that. Mm-hmm. What up, Maven? Um, for me, I was like, oh, crap. I <laughs> Technically, you said under 25. I was like, shit, I'm in that category. Um, <laughs> that's, I think, another part of like the whole like youth culture thing. I'm like, shit, am I still considered a youth? Lots of spaces I am and the other spaces I'm not. It's just weird. But I think going off, like, I don't know, whenever I think of like youth right now, like I just think of like a lot of bravery. These things are brave. Like, and that's what I'm really proud of. Like, I feel like I came out in like a small window where people were starting to be able to kind of question those kind of things and like speak up for themselves and really challenge like these family norms and whatnot, especially like in the black household. But definitely it was not a common thing. And I was definitely a big outcast because of the way I thought and the way I spoke. And I've never really been somebody who gave a shit about what other people thought about me or how I spoke, Um, especially not white people, but definitely just like not anybody in general. And so, but that wasn't a common thing around like people my age, especially not in like middle school when I really started getting into it. But um, same as Rosie, I've always been a why. My whole model for myself is constantly question everything because I'm if I'm not asking questions then I'm not doing something right you know like I'm definitely in a standstill and that's a problem for me and so I really like how this generation right now is like coming out really questioning shit and getting things done and they're not afraid to get loud about it and that's my whole thing is like I'm not afraid to get loud about because I feel like there's not like a lot of effective change you're going to be able to make if you're not willing to like shake some fucking tail feathers right and so um and but yet like growing up where I grew up it was kind of like no we can we can try the peaceful thing we can do the peaceful thing I'm like I'm not a peaceful person like I'm I'm not going to be a peaceful person because in the in the world I'm in, that's, that's not necessarily what's what's needed from me. Um, and so I believe there's definitely a place for both, you know, for the for the pacifists and for the anarchists. But um, I'm really just happy to see that like folks in high school and in middle school are doing shit that I didn't have like the opportunity to do until I was like an adult adult. It's definitely duality and picking fruits, then following their roots mm-hmm. and seeing why they grow. Say that then. Ashay. Now. Kamali, before you give your answer, I want you to do me a favor, all right? And I'll give you a couple of seconds because Maven brought up a very strong point about action that also Rosie mentioned. Do you have that Malcolm X quote on hand? Actually, actually, let me take out my bag of tricks. Yes, sir, I do. See, <laughs> uh, for those of you who cannot see what's happening in the room, uh, we, we are avid readers. We have a little book club. Uh, Kamali and I. Oh, um, well, it's not your book club. First of all, it's oh, Safe. Safe oh, is doing it. Thank you very much. Excuse oh, wow. me, Safe. Safe is doing oh, we got the book club. Real quick. I, I, I did. I, I did get <laughs> no, defensive. Rep okay. your set. Rep your set. I, I, I do rep my set. Okay. Let them know. Set. Uh, rep your set. I, you know, I was talking about you know. But before, before, before I read, before I read the quote, because I, I, I do, I do wanna, I do wanna. Uh, like be the resident angry angry older black man at the table and point out that our black youth today even though they have all these strong things going for them even though they're kind of tearing down the old systems that um oppress them and uh, subsequently like oppress their parents there is a general state of apathy that has transcended our parents into our generation now there's a sense of apathy that has like um pervaded the older generation into the generation now and it's coming to a head and we see it in negative manifestations of the culture literally all the time like we all know especially as young black kids we know that we live a precarious life so when they get on they get money you have people like trippy red right like 
rest in peace. Like no, no, no. Trippy, Trippy's alive. Trippy is alive. Trippy's oh, twenty. He's alive. Take that back. Uh, take that back. The, take that back. It was um, I forget the nigga's the name. The rapper that passed away recently Juice was World? Pop Smoke. Oh. Pop Smoke. Uh, no, no, Juice, Juice World. World. Before, yeah, That's, it was Juice World. Sorry, I, I, I really. Is there any way to edit that out? I hope, <laughs> they, I hope they edited that. That was like that was fucking terrible. No, people need to know that no, these. That, Look, I, I just don't want, I just don't want the, my my mistake recorded. Sorry, it's don't okay. don't 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 get mad at me. Don't, don't quote me. <laughs> don't don't cancel me. I'm sorry. So I, like like so, someone 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 in the room caught it. Someone in the room caught it and ruined my Joe Budden moment. But like, um, but no, like youth youth are apathetic and youth are doing things um based on their emotions, uh, which is very honest. Sometimes I really do believe it is short-sighted, but it is very honest and more honest than the generation that came before them. But a lot, a large part of that is the fact that they're born into a world that already hates them. They're born into a world that is stepping on them. They're born into a world that is, by all accounts, by all metrics, are like it's, it's ending. You know, like, and so their their freedom, <clears throat> them being tired of older people's shit, is rooted in that apathy, right? The apathy that handed down from their parents from like, oh, think shit's never going to change for us. Shit's always going to be this way. All the apathy that came generations before, it's coalescing now and it's manifesting in a lot of different ways. And a lot of the ways I think is, uh, uh, a big part of the way I think is that youth are willing to speak truth to power. That's why in the generation of activists where there was Malcolm and Martin they gave way to the uh, Kwame Torres, aka Stokely Carmichael, and um, they gave like, they gave way to other activists that uh, 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 like really were important in the movement. Right? Um, Malcolm X had this really powerful quote about w- one of the actions uh, that they had on like, on Washington, um, and in the in the quote he criticized uh, what what happened. When they allowed uh, uh, the po- people in the power structure to come in to the march and take over, so I'll read the quote because I mean I might mess up a, f- a couple of times, but you know whatever. Um, <clears throat> the Negroes were out in the streets. They were talking about how they were going to march on Washington. They were going to march on Washington, march on the Senate, march on the White House, march on Congress, and tie it up, bring it to a halt, not let the government proceed. They even said they were going to go out to the airport and lay down on the runway and not let any planes land. I'm telling you what they said. That was revolution. That was revolution. That was black revolution. It was a grassroots out there in the street. <clears throat> it scared the white man to death. Scared the white power structure in Washington, D.C. to death. I was there. When they, when they found out this black steamroller was going to come down on the Capitol, they called in these national Negro leaders that you respect and told them, call it off, Kennedy said. Look, you are all letting this thing go too far. And old Tom said, boss, I can't stop it. I didn't start it. I'm telling you what they said. They said, I'm not even in it, much less at the head of it. They said, these Negroes are doing things on their own. They're running ahead of us. And that old shrewd fox, he said, if you aren't in it, I'll put you in it. I'll put you at the head of it. I'll endorse it. I'll welcome it. I'll help it. I'll join it. That is what they did with the march on Washington. They joined it, became a part of it, took it over. And as they took it over, it lost its militancy. It ceased to be angry. It ceased to be hot. It ceased to be uncompromising. Why, it even ceased to be a march. It became a picnic, a circus. Nothing but a circus, clowns and all. No, it was a sellout. 
it was a takeover. They controlled it so tight, they told these Negroes what time to hit town, where to stop, what signs to carry, what song to sing, what speech they could make, and what speech they couldn't make, and told them to get out of town by sundown. Um, that, uh, that's very important to me because that is the state that's always been a constant state of black politics in America, and especially in a place like Seattle that has very little black leadership, especially in a place all over, uh, like places all over America like Seattle that don't have uh, black leadership and a lot of black people standing in the gap. Um, we see that. We see that, like, I mean, I hate to knock Black Lives Matter because everyone likes it, right? But, like, like, let's face facts. They It lost its militancy. They let people in that were trying to, uh, uh, like, like, you know, profit off the movement rather than be in it. And now these are the niggas they call up when they want the niggas to shut up. Like, and the youth, the, the youth understand that. The youth understand that. So when I run into, like, my, my little brother, he's not a... He's politically aware because he grew up with me, but he's politically aware, but he's not politically involved. Why? Apathy, right? And the apathy is the honesty of our generation because they're telling the adults, we're tired of your shit. They're like, what the fuck do you expect us to do? You expect me to stop flexing chains because you say it's not, it's not appropriate, it's not you know commendable or what, or what have you? Like, no, I'm going to fucking live my life because I'm going to die on this planet that y'all niggas fought for and still lost, you know, you still fighting for that. So it's, it's, it, that's how I see the state of black youth culture overall. Also, I just want to ask for listeners, what uh, book did you pull that quote from? People's history of the United States. It's literally the gold standard of like white people's American history. Like for a white man to write this book as well as he did, shout out to Howard Zinn. Um, like it's literally like a, a, such a impeccable take on a lot of things that even a lot of black people, a lot of black scholars don't know, you know, um, especially like the kids now, this is kind of why the apathy works two ways. Um, because, because their kids are apathetic now, they're turning away from the knowledge that has been left for them, that has been passed down to them. You know, they're throwing the whole thing out, not just taking what's useful. And, you know, my mom used to say, you got to eat the fish and leave the bone, right? Like, kids are, kids are finding their way. And I hope, I hope, it is my sincerest hope, that they, when, when it gets to the point where they shed all the bullshit, they could turn around and pick up what's left. So, Rosie, I, I feel uh, just personally that you have what some would describe as an old soul, Right. Um, and I don't know if you agree with that take, feel free to disagree. Uh Um, but if you do agree, I would like to ask you specifically, how do you stay connected to youth culture as well as the lessons that came before from older, uh, generation? Mm. Where do you find your balance? Um, I put a lot of my, uh, focus into creation I think is very important to not forget like even when you're taking advice from um like older people I feel like a lot of older people expect you to use them as a crutch and to like not live your own and like walk on your own so like I feel like taking the time to like uh I don't know figure certain things out like there are like political wisdoms that I like mainly take from um like my 
older peers, but um, there's certain like life experience things that you have to do on your own. So um, that comes to the intersection of, because that's all, that's all, everything black is an intersection. So like um, being able to live a life in the political climate we are, I think is a very interesting, uh, like new tightrope that black youth are following. Cause like there's so much social media pressure for you to be the ultimate like knowledge of, cause like it's, it's about you. It's always about you. Cause like the laws that they're making are going to affect you. Cause you're the one that's at the bottom of this. So if they're criminalizing something, you better watch out. Cause that's, that's who, you know, it's basically a target for you. Everything's targeted at you. So like, um, uh, it's just like, there's so much and like being able to uh, live a life in that is, um, especially in the new, um, like with social media and everything is something that older people can't really help you with that much. Cause they haven't written the book on it yet. You know, there's no, uh, Malcolm X Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, I would pay good money for that. Um, I would pay good, good hard earned American greenbacks for that. Um, and that, and that kind of speaks to what I'm saying about the apathy, right? Like, they're the they're being bombarded with so many things that like especially in capitalism like we can look at the root of it too it's like you're no longer a person you're a commodity now like you're no longer you are a figure you are represent you're an idea you're abstract right you're not actually yourself and it's yourself that's being oppressed right not the idea of you the idea of you can be free in America but you yourself you're still oppressed right and so kids see the freedom of the information technology we have the social media that we have and they they clamor for that freedom they express that freedom Mm -hmm. they embody that freedom but they don't have it right and that freedom is now turned to a market where it's used to sell them shit to keep them still in bondage sorry i'm not trying to get all hotep but like it but that's that's what it is it's it's a self-perpetuating cycle and because kids are not people anymore they're not beings, they're not whole beings, right? They're they're just young consumers, right? Like younger consumers, right? They're a demographic now. And when they get older, they become older consumers, right? And while they still wear that consumer label, they will feel like they have freedom, but they will know that they don't because feeling and knowing are different. So Maven, you actually work with the youth, like hands-on, right? Yeah. Okay, so I in just a couple different ways. But a yeah. couple di- okay, so that's actually what I wanted to go into just just for a bit. Uh, I just want to know about your involvement and experiences with that. What are some things that you've observed? What are some things that you've gathered? Where where are some areas that you've grown in just being a part of that sort of movement? Yeah. Um. So just to give a little bit of a brief background around how I got into this whole kind of world um so i started out doing kind of social justice work within like policy work and so i worked mainly with like um like our legislators and a little bit in congress and some random things i did a lot of random stuff but mainly my focus was around youth experiencing homelessness and youth who were um in the system and so i grew up in foster care i was in foster care for about 14 and a half years and i bounced to 29 different placements while i was in foster care and so for me being in that kind of situation i just needed to know as soon as i exited out if the reasons i was bouncing around and the reason or the experiences i had in the system were really for the reasons that i thought they were um because i think um rosie spoke on a little bit earlier too is like 
being young, I never necessarily thought that I knew everything, but the things I thought I knew, I did know. And so I was very sure about lots of things. But as a, as a kid, like you're always told you don't know what you're talking about. So when I aged out of foster care, the first thing I did was try to get into policy work. And lo and behold, half the things that were wrong were very fucking wrong. And so I went into policy work to change those things. And um, I managed to change a lot of really great things with a lot of youth with lived experience in foster care and homelessness. Um, and from there... I went into poetry professionally and I got a publishing deal and served as a poet laureate for Seattle. But I was doing a lot of social work and social justice work around that same time. And so a lot of people knew me for either both of those things or one of the other. Um, and for me, art and like my advocacy have never been a separate thing. They're very, very, very connected. Um, and so the way I write is very much the way I advocate for uh, myself and for youth coming up in the system and youth experiencing homelessness. Um, and so I started to do a little bit of work around um, kind of like mixing in my like teaching style because I began to teach creative writing around Seattle, like sister cities. Um, and that was kind of like my intro to getting back into working with youth uh, while also being a youth because this is all while I was 19 and 18. Um, and so it was a very weird kind of like intersection once again, because I felt like I wasn't qualified to do this work, but it was definitely something I'm really glad I did. Mm -hmm. um, but being I think in like the social justice field around youth experiencing homelessness, specifically black and brown youth and seeing like all these things that are like kind of happening in our world and then seeing that they're also houseless was just like something. It was very like, I don't know, nerve wracking myself. I, I was homeless for four years. And so it was just something that was very, I don't know, it was very, um, I was kind of displaced from it. So even though I was experiencing it, I was so focused on the fact that I needed to like do this work that I kind of, I kind of forgot I was also in the same situation. Um, but yeah, my work with youth has been very like multifaceted, I guess. Like it's kind of been all over the place. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to art um, because that's the main way that I'm still going to be able to connect with them. Um, and how I feel like I'm able to show up as my best self and my my only self is through my creative writing and music. Everything you said resonates and stands out. But there was something uh, towards the end that you mentioned just about uh, almost forgetting that you yourself mm -hmm. were still in the situation uh, I sometimes wonder this about a lot of our, our great leaders uh, in history, uh, you know, like Nani of the Maroons or Harriet Tubman or even Malcolm X. I ever I wonder, do, did they ever have a moment uh, where they forgot while they were fighting or was that something that drove them even more? Um, and I, I just want to start with you, Rosie, because uh, just obviously as a black person, you know, that identity puts a target on your back. But. Do you feel in your activism that it puts you at greater risk of danger within this white supremacist world? Or do you sometimes forget that you're also being targeted by the very thing that you're fighting against and helping other people fight against? Yeah, that was a deep, that was a yeah, deep Yeah, that's a lot to question. unpack right there. <laughs> right? That's like. That, that, that was quite the morsel, good sir. Right, yeah. I love this question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like, kind of gets, uh, <coughs> you know, kind of like, I think of like, if I was a gear and a watch, I would forget I was moving after a while. Mm, okay. So like, <laughs> um, I think that once you start functioning in a world where you just got to innately protect yourself in every situation, you just kind of get that muscle up and it kind of just starts flexing on its own. And, uh, but, um, I think more recently the, like adding on certain identities, like being trans and being a, an active artist, like moving through those cities. So it's been, it's kind of shook me up a little bit and made me realize I, I have been functioning on that automatic 
uh, kind of drive in that. And, you know, I'm always at risk. That's never like, too much. First of all, you're over here spitting. I'm about Yo, to quote that. <laughs> profound, okay? Yeah, um, thank you. I'm definitely, I'm going to throw a curveball at my man Kamali. Uh, because, you know, we've, we've had a lot of discussions about this throughout the course of our friendship, just about uh, where you fall on these intersections of being black and being a black man and being a black man who is loud. Uh, so do you ever feel like uh, you are uh, more self-aware of the risk of danger uh, within this white supremacist land? Or do you sometimes lose yourself as you get into the movement, what you're doing as an activist? My nigga, I'm so indignant. I get I, I get I forget that I am black. Every day, I, you know, like for a second, I do, I do, cause I, I turn up, I turn up like a white man. I, I, I don't be giving a fuck either, like, you know, and that, and that's because, and that's because, like, Black Boy, Richard Wright, love it. We, we talk, we talk about this book all the time. There was a point in Black Boy where he talked about not knowing, uh, uh, uh where he fit in, um, in the South, or if he could stay in the South his whole life because he never felt like he was lesser than any white man. And he knew that the way that he would kind of be like, excuse me, would get him killed. So, like, I operate like that. And, like, reading that as a kid, I was like, huh. That was like the first Kanye can't tell me nothing. Niggas not telling me shit. You know what I'm saying? And so when I do this work, that is my attitude. Niggas not telling me shit. So it's just like, I know that I'm in danger. I'm fully aware of the danger, right? I don't forget. But there's a point where I just don't give a fuck, right? Like, Cause it's like, all right, I see y'all out here doing y'all shit, like doing y'all white supremacist shit, doing y'all white power shit. Y'all don't be giving a fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all do that shit. Y'all y'all go out where you're you're stupid. You, you do all the shit. If you're a white supremacist, you do all the shit. You do all the little the leg work and you you do your little white power shit, right? And you don't give a fuck about that because you feel bold enough to do that. And then what they want is for you as a black person, you as a black person, you as a black man. Because they have a culture around killing you, around killing people who look like you, around killing your women, killing the, killing the, 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 just the children, like, in your community, right? Like, you, it's hard to, it's really, it's like, you get indignant, right? Like, you get indignant because it's like, I see this shit, I'm like, I know that I'm dead if I don't say anything and I'm dead if I, you know, say something. So, if I'm going to die... Right. If I'm going to fucking die, then I'm going to die fighting back. Right. And so, like, it's really funny because sometimes I always make the joke about being unaware that you're like, nigga, don't you know you're black? You know, like, but it's just like the reality of my situation is I'm painfully aware of that. I know that I'm in danger because of it, especially because of my maleness, especially because of my, of my blackness, as dark as I am. Right. So it's like, I know that I'm always seen in that light of being a brute, right? I'm always seen as in the light of being dangerous. In fact, a little personal anecdote, like, I was on a dating, I was in a dating app, um, and I've matched with this, this young lady before multiple times, and uh, it's, it's a young Asian lady, um, and, like... I like I had a different name because it was linked to my Facebook. I had like my first name, which I go by all with my friends and family, Kamali, and then I have my work name, Derek, um, that I go by. And my profile had my work name on it because when I signed up on it again, that's the name that it took, you know. Um, and so I matched with this woman, and this woman, um, 
like we start talking and we have a pattern where we talk and then we fall off, talk and fall off. And then, like the like, when the final time the anti-blackness jumped out, right? Like um, she said that, well, I stopped talking to you because um, it makes me feel weird that you change your name every time you're on the other person. And I, I don't, I don't trust that. And it's just like, wait, you know, like, haven't you heard of fucking code switching? You know, and like she, she didn't give a fuck. Right? He's like, you're a man. What she didn't want to say is that you're a black man. Like, even though I, I did match with you, you're a black man. And now something you did scared me, you know? But she doesn't she doesn't care about the danger that implies, right? Like, uh, I can't code switch. I can't code switch. God, I can't, I can't say that my name is fucking Derek because white people find Kamali hard to say. Or on the opposite end, when I say that, like uh, uh, my name is Kamali. They exotify me and be like, "Oh, that's so that's so, you know, it, it, it's you can't win, right? You can't win, and that's the that's my point. Like, like I can't win, I can't win. So my only thing is to be myself unapologetically at all times, mm-hmm. no compromise. Uh, a pretty uh fun colloquial term that we use for this, uh, besides code switching, is existing behind enemy lines. Uh, just knowing how to be a spy, which which is a real skill. You know, it's exhausting uh, being performative in that way. Um, and to take it back a little bit, Richard Wright, he was born in the early 1900s, uh, a couple of years before World War One, And he didn't even really start writing writing until just before the start of World War II. Um, and I bring this up as a Black History Month fact to... Uh, kind of add on to what Kamali had mentioned, uh, just about uh, existing around white people as a carefree, sometimes belligerent black person. Uh, back then, during the First World War and Second World War uh, draft and enlistment, there were a lot of black men who would come down south from up north and they wouldn't even make it into service because they would get killed just for speaking out openly because they were they weren't used to uh, the Jim Crow South and the law of the land. So they would they would get murdered. And these were people that had signed up to serve their country. Uh, and they were, you know, even even outside of that. Uh, and forgive me, uh, I'm, I promise to add something in the uh, post show notes. Uh, but there is a, a very important historian, a black historian who tried to enlist himself during the Second World War. And he was very qualified. He had a PhD. He had done all of these amazing things. And the white recruiter looked at him and said, wow, you're, you're perfect. You have everything except one thing. You're a black person. Uh, and then he decided that he was no longer going to join. And he went on to become a world-renowned historian. So it worked out for him in the end. But that's you know, those are those are the dangers that our, our people have faced even before this, you know, being a, a black person who could read and write during a time of legalized uh, physical slavery that that got you that got you killed. Um, and hell, it it might still in 2020. I don't know. There's there's a um, there's a video on YouTube called How Dave Chappelle Dodges Laser Beams. And it's uh, by this channel called Now You See It. And it talks about all these invisible like lasers that Dave Chappelle dodges. And I think that kind of comes into play when we're talking about like code switching, being behind enemy lines. It's those invisible lasers just for any 
white people who may be listening and don't really believe in that. So just like, if you think there's invisible lasers in comedy, imagine. There's a, there's a quote also from the chapter I read the Malcolm X, where I read the Malcolm X quote that, um, that is important. It's like, it's the beginning of the chapter where it says the black revolt of the 1950s and 1960s, North and South came as a surprise. But perhaps it should not have. The memory of oppressed people is one thing that cannot be taken away. And for such people with such memories, revolt is always an inch below the surface. Like, which is a powerful, it's a powerful thing. And I think that what we, when you talked about the youth culture overall, we're seeing, like, we're, we're literally seeing that. We're seeing that. Like, because that, that, what, the, 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 the thing that people are afraid of with black youth and black culture right now are the things that are being manifested. Like, a little Uzi Vert freaks people out. Older black people and younger black people alike, right? Like, his, the, way, the way Uzi exists, right? Young Thug, right? Like, the way Young Thug exists, especially in the lexicon. Like, look at that. Like, when people look at these things, they're, they're, they're seeing the culture of revolt. The culture, the culture of eschewing societal norms to live outside, um, like the parameters of society, or the parameters that the society has like set forth for you specifically. So, I mean, I think in our own way, just being black, just being alive, is our revolt. Okay, so Black History Month fact again: uh, the Fifteenth Amendment was ratified February third, eighteen seventy. Uh, and the 15th Amendment is the one that basically says, doesn't matter who you are, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're allowed to vote. Of course, as you all know, as everyone should know, uh, that that law was not quite applicable to black people uh, for quite some time, uh, quite some decades. Um, and so, you know, obviously a lot of our ancestors, a lot of our grandparents would argue that one of the greatest acts of protest is to vote. Uh, so I just want to get into that a little bit. And I want to start with you, Maven. I want to start with uh, where where is your head at right now when it comes to local politics? Are you are you involved? And it's OK to say that you're out of touch or you're not. But are you involved locally? Are you aware of what's happening nationally? Mm. I would say for me, it's definitely to a degree. Um, like I mentioned earlier, for me, I got into policy work and policy work was the closest I was ever going or ever willing to get into politics just because I, I mentioned it before, I'm very much more of an anarchist than anything else. And so for me, I, I think, and I don't necessarily think that's the the most efficient way to go about things all the time, but it's the way I go about things. And so I, I, I definitely am just not here for a lot of fucking systems. I'm much on all accounts, a very free spirited person. And so just the way that the politics of politics in general runs just isn't for me, but as around like local politics, I don't think I'm definitely more out of touch right now um, because I haven't been necessarily in the social justice field, but that was my job beforehand is making sure that I'm very up to date around like local policies and bills and whatnot. Um, so I'm not as aware, but, you know, I think for me, the way I go about it, because it's like, of course, like being black, brown, trans, all these freaking just being a black person right now is everything's fucking exhausting. Right. Um, and for me, a lot of the times the way going about getting involved in politics traditionally isn't the way I am able to do it, which is how I go back to my art and how that works for me and how I can be, um, 
how I can show up to these spaces through my art and through my multimediums. And it works, you know, but it's definitely a very complicated subject as far for me. <laughs> okay, okay. So where where do you feel you fall on the anarchist spectrum? Because anarchy as a mm-hmm. uh, sociopolitical concept is actually pretty like broad Mm -hmm. uh so where do you fall that was my whole thing it's a very broad i don't think i'll be able to fit that into (laughs) that's fair no that's fair like um for me though i think my whole idea around like the systems that we have in place is just kind of like i don't have this whole like the systems we have in place just don't work so for me it's not necessarily putting new people into seats of systems that don't work it's dismantling those completely and starting from there um and i know that's like a a huge thing and that's not a thing that's going to happen anytime soon but that's kind of like the best thing for me and you Mm -hmm. know and Mm -hmm. so for uh, a lot of the time like a lot of a big part of my previous job was teaching youth specifically black and brown youth about the power of voting that was the training I used to give and so um for me I think it's just like a lot of people when I tell them kind of like my whole views they assume that I don't think people should vote I think folks should vote like I definitely think there's a power in it but for me it's just not how I get my power it's not how I'm going to make changes effectively um but I definitely am supportive of all my friends and like the folks who do vote because I do think it's very fucking important that we do do that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I love uh, the balance in your perspective. I think it's good to be able to see things from all sides mm-hmm. as you navigate and find your place. Yeah. Uh, I see Kamali is pretty, pretty anxious. Like, what's up? Hop in. Uh, um, um, well, voting is a mixed bag for me. Um, like, I, I yes, I do believe people should vote, and I I do vote. I do my civic duty. I believe it's a civic duty. And I believe that you should do it. Um, and even from the leftist perspective of of voting, right? Like, yeah, it's important. People died for this for the right to do that. Like people people died for the right to do that. People fought for the right to do that, and that that is that is important. And that that's one of those things that the apathy needs to not but we have to understand why people aren't fucking voting right like the apathy around voting is is real it's like all them niggas in harlem could fucking vote and they could vote a lot sooner than a lot of niggas in the south but did shit change for fucking harlem no right like a lot of people in the south could fucking well like uh, what what is his name uh brother divine actually uh even though he did a lot of cult-like awful things uh he actually did help people within that area black people like learn the power of organizing community organizing and voting divine or is it polite wait is it no is it brother polite or brother divine who's the one that jim jim uh jones it it could be it could be i don't know we gotta we gotta find google corner right now baby (laughs) let's get on it no yeah it's uh it was father divine See, you said brother divine. That's why I was like, that was excuse me, my slip, my slip. I was like, brother polite. No, my rap. That was a slip. The nigga with the pineal gland on his face. Another Black History Month anecdotal fact: the Father Divine. It's debated that he was one of the first cult leaders, at least within the New York City era area during that time. He's a black person who like heavily inspired. Uh, what's his name? Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with Jim Jones, he's the cult leader that uh led the mass suicide. And don't drink the Kool Aid. Drink the fucking Kool Aid, anime. Uh, but <laughs> hey, me, knowing me, I don't want to drink the Kool Aid. Knowing <laughs> me, if it was sweet enough, I probably still drink. It. Oh, no. oh my god, that if it's sweet enough, very yo, existential. Yo, 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 like I, I mean, that's the, isn't that the state of black? Look, 
I, like, I didn't want to start getting into the Afro pessimism shit Kubrick. because you know I, I like to I like to talk about about black apathy. You know what I'm saying? That's my that's my dialectic. But like it is it is. Um, but we have to understand why niggas is not voting anyway, right? Like all, niggas were threatened when they went to go vote. White like white supremacists fucking would come to your house and burn crosses for you if you, they knew your ass was voting. So it's like like you see that right. And you see that America petitioning voting as the only way to solve disputes within America, um, what Howard Zinn calls the traditional cooling mechanism of the ballot box, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, once voting did shit, they took that shit away. They're like, these niggas can't be voting. So it's just like the apathy that black people feel towards voting is something I completely understand. I'm very intimate with. However, comma, right? I add that because it's like, I do I believe that there there's a time and place for everything? Absolutely. There's a time and place for voting, right? But I know there's a time to stop voting, right? Because like for me, and I don't know what it's like for any other activist, I don't know what it's like for y'all in this room, but the reason why I vote is because when it goes to shit, I want to have the record. I voted for this, did this, tried this. Voted for this. Like, I want that track record to show that when I pull up and I'm tearing down the fucking White House now because shit has gotten so bad that we've had this child. We had Joffrey, Joffrey the Great as our fucking as our fucking president. Then I want the record to show that I tried everything I could do, like, you know, in my power to reason with fucking Joffrey. That's why I got a fucking scarf in my face, and that's why I got an AK-47 right now. Because I, I, I told you, niggas, right? I told you, and now you didn't listen. So it's just like I understand the power of voting, and I think voting and learning your electoral politics, learning your local politics, knowing who your council members are, knowing who your mayor is, like those things are extremely important because when all else fails and you fucking pick the gun up, you know, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? I tried your peaceful revolution. I tried, you know, and that's and that and that's the thing that I feel like is is the the, the big thing with voting in the black community right now. It's like, why should we give anybody our vote, right? Why should we do this? And it's not that you should. I mean, you probably c- could try, right? But ultimately, when it comes down to it, especially with voting. Um, I, I'm not, and I'm not, uh, vote, vote your conscience Negro. I'm not, I don't give a fuck. You vote for what wins. I pray to the God of whatever works and whoever's going to get up in that stage and, and fight for my interests, however marginally I'll do it. Want to know why? Cause I'd rather fight fucking Hillary Clinton right now than fight fucking Trump. Uh, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I feel, uh, that, that would be more of a political fight. I feel with Trump, I just have to knock his goddamn to pay off. I've been blocked on Twitter for saying that, by the way. Uh, yeah. That's a petty reason to get blocked on Twitter. Right? Also, also in the words of uh, one of our great black leaders and poets, I just want to quote him, okay? Uh, he says, <clears throat> Oh, no. Yes, I'd be with future, but I like to reminisce. I do not forget a thing. I'm patient. It's a gift. Try to tell them they ain't got to do it. They insist. They insist. 
Drake Aubrey Graham. Oh my Mob God. ties. Oh my God. I knew this nigga was going to put a fucking Drake lyric in this shit. That is the most light skinned shit I have <laughs> seen tonight. First of all, uh, for anyone listening, I'm retired from that. I am no light longer skins. light skinned. I am light skinned. I am not I, a light skinned I, nigga. I am just a nigga nigga. nigga. We can nigga, edit that out. You, you, know, you know what? You know what this nigga just did? He, you, know, you know how like, you have old boxes that got the old ass fucking boxing belts from like championships that don't exist no more? This nigga just pulled his out. He was just like, Aubrey Graham. Aubrey Graham. Like, what the fuck is that? It's the biggest rapper right now. He's the biggest rapper in the world. Most Move on from Aubrey. Thank you. I don't want to hear no more about this nigga. He's the biggest rapper in the world right now. He's like, it's Black History Month. We got to talk about Drake. We do. No more light-skinned niggas. He's the biggest rapper in the world right now. And honestly, hip-hop hip hop is the foundation for... Well, really, circa 1972 until now, hip-hop has been a driving force in a lot of what we do. And I don't just mean rap music. I mean, like, the entire culture of hip-hop. Everything from breaking to other styles of dancing that have come from it to yeah, graffiti. That young, like, that young B-style, you know, the, shout out to Japan. This, this is an act of <laughs> protest, you know what I mean? This is this is in us at this point. Um, and so I don't... Not I don't, in us. From us, from uh, no, nope. thank you. Because it was already, it was already in us. It was in our ancestors when they brought our black asses over here. It's yeah. in us now, even though they want to send our ass back. So it's like I say, it's in us, and people are lucky to see it come from us. Yeah. And know? I don't even think they should. I'm exactly. Oh, I'm, and rap came from uh, dance hall. One popular dance, against one. Dan, dance hall, dance hall, uh, jazz. jazz. Like, there's so many. But since roll. since we're on this topic, mm. oh, God. and I and I am a rapper, oh, and I'm also not the only poet at the table. Table full of or song or songwriter. The end. Boom 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 exclusively uh relegated to just rap music mm-hmm. all right it's never been so never has never has. uh just so i want to know i want to know about a song or an album that for you symbolizes blackness uh oh you know my that, answer already that resonates with you that when you're when you're ready to turn up as an activist like this is the song or album that plays for you in your heart in hip-hop I want you to think about it, and I and I want you to try. If you can't, it does not have to be a rap album. To my man's ill will, God bless of course, your life. To of my course. people throughout Queens, God bless your life. I trip in boxing, crazy bitches aiming guns and all my baby pictures. <laughs> like, like I mean, like come it's on, Illmatic. Illmatic, straight up and down. I grew up. That's New York. I grew up in that. Like to me, like people talk about New York and I, I get angry with all these fucking white tourists and all these people like, I want to go to New York. I want to go to the Bronx Steps. And it's like, I don't give a fuck about the Joker movie too much because it's like, I'm from the Bronx. Like, I already know that the Bronx and mental illness don't fucking mix. I'm mentally ill from the Bronx. I get it. I get it. I know, I know I'd be outside right now my bipolar ass being like, Guantanamera. But like, <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. Guantanamera. Guantanamera. Like, I, I mean, like, like, it's like, yo, every summer, all right? Oh every every summer in New York, you already know the bodega. He know what I'm talking about. This nigga actually what I'm talking about. Every summer, 
as soon as summer comes, it's like the it's like a crow call for not a crow call, a fucking uh, a cox call for like fucking yo, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna fucking Guantana man. Alright. Like, I mean <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I really cannot. Like, I mean, like that is a part of my New York, you know what I'm saying? Like I grew up with I grew up with fucking Illmatic. Illmatic was the album of my life. The World Is Yours is my favorite song. It's my activist song. It's the shit I tell fucking kids all the time. When I was teaching after school, I always tell kids this kind of shit. Because the world is theirs. You know what I'm saying? It's made from you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there are things around that only can exist because people like you made them exist. So it's just like, that album to me, especially because I believe it is the greatest rap album of all time, and that's not a hot take. That is fucking pure facts. It is the most perfect. It is Raps Mona Lisa. I know Ash is cringing right now because he doesn't want to fucking argue with me about this right now because we had this argument literally every month. But, 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 aside from that, like, Illmatic, to me, especially as a black youth growing up, it was, it, it was rare to see that, that level, that, that level of poetry, that beauty from the street. You know what I'm saying? Street level. That's what, that's what Illmatic was about. It was about, like, when New York State of Mind, when he's getting shot at in the beginning of the song, he's, like, rapping, and then, doom, 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 bing. Like, I, like, grew up with that because I could see that. I went to Queens and I saw that shit, you know what I'm saying? I was in the Bronx seeing, like, dope heads. My uncle was a dope head. Like, last time on the show, I actually talked about this. It's like, my uncle was a, was a fiend, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, like, having that codified in art, not even just regular art, I'm talking about great art, great art. Like Nas and Nas probably hates this. Is a, this is probably a bad take, right? But Nas's greatest album is that album because of the cultural revolution that it started in rap music. Because it blended the street shit with consciousness, right? It's just like I know what I'm doing is some fuck shit, but I know that I'm doing this shit to survive because this is a part of my material condition, right? And then in a lot of ways, Nas's Illmatic is Afro-pessimistic because he talks about the material conditions that lead him to these this, these paths of despair through his story. I'm gonna, That's why it's I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make sure I I bring you on to uh, the hip hop corner when when we launch that, so you can get in the hot seat and I can tell you some things. But we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna let it we're gonna let it fly. That was shady. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna let that fly. Shame. That was an amazing answer. I love it. I love the Illmatic. I love Nas. I love Nas. Okay, they said that all. You heard it. He was like, I, he was like, I'm gonna let you finish, but okay, okay, yay. I see you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, yeah. No, and I, I, I love that answer. Um, because if any rap album, why not Omatic? You know. I mean, you could say black on both sides, which I couldn't say the same thing about. Don't, but I didn't. Don't don't get I me started. Don't get I, me started. I, I didn't, and I didn't say it because oh, I knew no. it would bother you for not saying black on both sides. I, I'm not even. It, Honestly, if I had to choose an album, it would be an album that predates hip hop uh, by two years. And it's Curtis Mayfield's debut album, Curtis Mayfield. I feel like Diamond in the Back, Sun Rooftop, Chicken <sighs> That is the most hip hop album from an artist that had no idea what hip hop even was because it didn't even exist. But this black man was out here talking about everything that was going on. The street. Flossing, flossing, Vietnam War, drugs, 
loving yourself as a black person, things that black people go through and white supremacy. Like he's just singing and playing instruments and just dancing and being in Superfly. I mean, just- I was about to say being in Superfly. <laughs> like that was my that, that, I, I literally as soon as you said it, it was coming out of my mouth. Being in fucking Superfly. Superfly is it was a bad movie. I will I will say that it's a bad movie, but it's great. And the fact that they actually had niggas in this movie telling white people to fuck off, yeah, right, with coke in the man nose. This wasn't even <laughs> on the like regular, like regular fuck off shit. He was like, nah, nigga, I got coke in my shit, and I'm telling you go fuck Yo, yourself. I'm- so it was like, I mean, look, it, it's it's probably that's some gangster rap shit. That's some gangster rap shit. That was you know back when they were like actually using coke to make movies, but the movies were actually pretty good. It really wasn't until the '80s that it was like, all right, we, you should probably got to stop. You should, yeah, you should stop. sober up yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but I'm looking over here. Sugar. I'm looking yeah. over here at Maven, oh, no. who I feel, who I feel is nervous about the Sansa. And I and I just want to, I just want to go back to a conversation you and I had oh, no. about the great late racist Pantera. And their amazing song, Walk. Oh, no. Uh, and groove metal as a subgenre and how it has a lot of elements that are similar to rap music. So uh, that's why I'm so interested in what your answer might be. Because uh, there's so many different... Wi- even I feel punk. <laughs> punk rock is a cousin of rap to me. Punk rock is hip hop to me. As long as there is a black person behind it. Uh, and that happened because we started it. Yeah. Right? Um, so. Greg Tate, fucking Greg Tate, he talks about this in his essay with Bad Brains. He said, Bad Brains is intense because they're an anomaly. Mm-hmm. They can't play Roots Reggae for fucking shit, but these niggas can fucking jam. jam. Can fucking jam. Okay? So it's just like, they, they got their notoriety, but in essence, in a way, denying part of what makes them great, which is their blackness. The, the reggae, the shit, the soul that came and like was like the ancestor the great ancestor of punk right so it's like when you talk when you talk about that that piece of it you get like a completely you know different different view mm-hmm. so maven mm-hmm. yeah. what My you answer. got um well yeah because you said song or album and you already know i do not have an answer as far as like a song or an album for me i I hold a lot of personalities. I don't have one like song for anything ever. I just have multiple millions of playlists for everything. And so I don't know when I thought about it, I was just like my my relationship with music growing up was very, very weird. I know everybody has like a different experience in the system. But like where I was, you couldn't listen to shit unless it was on Radio Disney. And so growing up, I didn't have access to anything outside of like that bubble so for we're talking about where you at now oh no it, do, it doesn't work like that right now <laughs> what, had, what are some songs it can be like it that. can be plural it can be it I doesn't have, have to be songs one. i don't have songs you, i don't work like that i don't even listen to like the same songs on a daily basis or even hourly so it's just like i listen to i, I listen to too much different shit but as far as like what i listen to i don't know i don't know how to answer that <laughs> no no so if you were to make a playlist right now to inspire that mood, what songs would you put on it? I can't Walk do that. by Pantera. <laughs> no, <laughs> no you can do it. You 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 no. make playlists, right? I do, but they all have like over three hundred songs on so them. So give each. me five. No, I can't do that. I can't think off the top of my head like that. So look at your phone. It, late, everyone listening, it is twenty twenty, and we you all have smartphones. Couple out. That's it. Please don't make this hard for me, <laughs> please. You're making it hard for me. My brain doesn't work. Literally, Ash, I can, I can help you out. Ash, I can help you blank. out. Ash, let me help you out. Okay. I don't know. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, 
I have a couple songs. So, um, Little Red Corvette is going to be on there. Um, when Doves Cry is going to be on there. And uh, a couple other, a lot of Prince songs, probably all of like 1999 and Purple Rain for sure. Probably some stuff from Parade as well. Because like, oh, we were talking about like Black History kind of vibes. Or yeah, Black History hip hop. Yeah, yeah. Pr- Prince Black can hi- do whatever he wants. Yeah, because I was thinking of like creative blackness, like, you know, just pure like, because like, you know, I was thinking of like some hip hop album where it talks about all the hard stuff, but I was like, being black is pretty amazing if you don't add in the white supremacy mm-hmm. kind of lens, you know, like in, in my own, you know, I was just like thinking of, um, you know, because bla- I take Black History Month as a time to just kind of like roll into my blackness and just kind of like learn about all this stuff, but mm-hmm. also like enjoying the uh, the creative uh, blood and spirit that gets passed through melanin. Mm-hmm. So Prince is on there a lot. I love Prince. I love that our dear guest Maven struggling <laughs> oh, yes. could not, and I understand it I as a as a as a fellow music lover. Like sometimes it's hard to just come with it, like on the spot. Uh, I guarantee, if you asked me right now, uh, what some of my favorite anime were. What are you some of your favorite animes? Yo, this list is about to hit fifty in like thirty seconds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do not start and I don't want to do that. So, like, I I totally understand. Um, and also sometimes it's okay to just not answer. It's you know, okay that's, to hit fifty. That's what it is, right? It's always okay to hit fifty. Like it's, always, it was all, yeah, it's like give me a push. It's like I did fifty, bro. You know, but, a question ew. is just a suggestion. <laughs> 50, a question is just a suggestion. You can always go further. This is true. Like, look, I mean, there there is so many different songs in the soundtrack of Liberation, right? Like, you know, like not, and that's the thing. It's what's so beautiful about blackness is that, like. For all of us, that music sounds different. For all of that, that that feels different, and we still have a quintessential black figure that we pull that from, right? Like, I mean, I could have easily just as said uh, Miles Davis as I did uh, Sketches of Spain, as I did uh, 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 Illmatic. I mean, they're completely two different genres conceptually like, far apart, but, you know. Okay, I'll pick the last song I listened to before I came here today, which was Bondage Up Yours by the X-Ray Specs. And that's a really good song, and it ties into black history. That's fair. Uh, All right, so as we close this thing out. Wait, let me add in a while. Before we close this thing, (laughs) we'll edit that out. (laughs) Just because, like, I just want to expand a little bit on why I chose Prince. Because Prince, like, uh... I don't know, did a lot on his own. Like, you know, just like took that initiative. And I don't think any other artist would have been, especially not black, would have been as brave uh, to like take on the things he did in his career. Like Mm -hmm. his first album, the, I forget which label he was on, but they were pressuring him to use a producer and he like refused. And that was like, uh, like kind of threw heads back and just, uh, I don't know. I love that about Prince. There's a lot of stuff that Prince just charged on and refused to like lay down on mm-hmm. especially prince, in prince was brave prince just uh you know fortunately for prince prince was not murdered uh that's that's the difference yeah. because there were a lot of black artists and musicians <laughs> who definitely uh were brave and bold and they spoke up but they uh they may not have made it past that record that they did yeah um look man jazz see that's the thing it's just like when we talk about music we talk like i just want a quick jazz, little history jazz lesson um this nigga Sidney Bechet, the most gangsterous shit. Nigga got kicked out of Paris. Nigga got kicked up. He couldn't come back to Paris. This nigga pulled a gun on somebody in Paris, shooting at this nigga over some music. 
Now that is some hip hop shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Fucking Miles Davis, pre Kanye, Kanye. This nigga Miles Davis is pulling tuli wops out on niggas like on on the street over his records. Give my record masters. Like it's just like that 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 tradition of niggas not having it, niggas not playing with you. Like it, like I said, it's it's painted down to the youth because. Without without that kind of attitude, you know what I'm saying? Without niggas out here being about their business, like, nigga, I will shoot you over some music. Like, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we love, a lot of stuff we listen to probably wouldn't even exist, you know? And, and, I mean, and that's real. That's still part of that culture of resistance. It's still very much so part of that culture of resistance. Well, I, I really appreciate all of you. This was This was amazing. This was spiritual. I wish it could go on. I wish, I wish there was a cookout, you know? For us, by, by us for us. We can do it. Um, <laughs> like, like them jerseys, bruh. Boo like, uh, boo, um, nigga. <laughs> so no, uh, I I do. I just want to say thank you, Maven. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Kamali. Uh, if there's any last little small thing you want to put out there, just as far as where people can find your content, find your activism, find your voice, anything, please. Um, go to Facebook and type in standing against for closure and eviction and you'll find us and you'll know you found us because there will be a big ass picture that says no more fucking cracker boxes on there. It's spray painted on a Seattle development board thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's us. Instagram, Rosie underscore ROC dot K-E-T. Spotify, Seneca Rose, a.k.a. Rosie Rocket. Your boy is kind of hard to find. I do not have any plugs, but I'm out here. (laughs) (laughs) We out here. We out here. This has been a better (laughs) left. (laughs) Happy Black History Month. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Better Left Podcast. This is Jay. If you're liking what you're hearing, don't forget to give us a rating of five stars. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button, too, so you can stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks a lot. I guess they thought I was safe. If I was talking, they say that I'm a dangerous ape. Fuck these colorist bastards. They can slap on my knob. Do six to them all. With a blood, tear the club up. Hit a racist motherfucker. Beat them to the flow. Am town. Better let them know. I'm on my Django shit. You know what time it is. Watch what you Garbage ass, Uncle Tom could sit with me and try.